Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Guest speaker Ethan Zimmerman will be speaking on the book of Esther with the message, A Priestly Figure. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Happy Sunday. Happy last Sunday of the year. That's exciting. Or maybe not. I don't know. I liked 2023. All right. Anyway, so for the last few months, uh, I have been like a dog chewing on a fresh bone. Okay? That's the picture we're coming into today with. All right? So the book of Esther has been my bone. And like many dogs to their bone, I have been returning to Esther daily to enjoy chewing on the depths and richness of this book, each time, I think, more satisfied than the time before. So for the last month or so, I've uh, been in the book of Esther, and my eyes have been lifted again to see our King Jesus in a fresh light as I've tasted his goodness on the pages of Esther very poetic start to the morning. So that's why we're in Esther today, right? We're just here for one week. Uh, It's a book that I have deeply enjoyed, and we're here simply because I've been delighting in the things that God has been showing me uh, during my own time in the book of Esther each day. And I'd like to take the chance this morning to share just a couple things that have been resonating with me deeply uh, as I have studied Esther. So if you're not familiar with the book of Esther or would like a refresher, let's recap the premise of the book of Esther, because we're not going to go through all of it today. It's it's like 12 chapters. It's a a lot to talk about in an hour, or not an hour. I have 30 minutes. We're not going to be in here for an hour. It's okay. (laughs) Calm down. It's all right. Don't run away. All right. So Esther takes place after God has sent uh, the Jews into exile in Babylon. The Persians are now the ruling power. And some of the Jews are back home, while others have remained in their place of exile. The book of Esther follows a group of Jews, specifically two Jews. But there's a group of Jews who are still in a foreign land. They're in Persia. They did not go back home after the exile. And currently, these Jews in Persia are under threat of genocide because of an evil ruler named Haman. Okay? Esther a Jew in the foreign land of Persia has recently been chosen by the king of Persia to be his queen. It's kind of an odd, it's an odd thing. It's a bit of an odd book to me, right? A portion of God's chosen people, the Jews, didn't go home. They're still living in a foreign land. They should be back home. And one of them has been chosen by the king of this foreign land to be his queen all while one of the king's rulers has issued a decree for genocide to kill every last Jew in Persia, which would include Esther, the king's queen. So the text we're looking at today is sort of the climax of the book of Esther, where we'll see that Esther is faced with a pretty famous choice. 
So today we're in Esther, chapter 4, verse 8, and we'll be reading through chapter 5, verse 2, where our text will start with Mordecai, who is Esther's cousin, and he's speaking to a messenger who's relaying messages between Mordecai and Esther as they're figuring out what to do. So let's begin today by reading uh, Esther, chapter 4, verse 8 through 5, verse 2. It goes like this. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold the fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you uh, for a wonderful year spent at Hollyview seeking after you and your word. And we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and that you would meet us there uh, day after day and week after week as we come to you to meet with you. And we ask that you would uh, meet with us this morning, that as we leave this place, it would be said uh, not that we heard a great message, but that we have met with you. Uh, may you be richly glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before I moved to Oregon, uh, I spent four years living as a missionary in Auckland, New Zealand. I was a missionary to college students at the University of Auckland. And part of my role there was to make disciples of Christ Jesus among college students who are from the Pacific Islands, okay? So that's places like Tonga and Samoa and Fiji, just to name a few of them. And as I started uh, thinking about how am I going to build relationships 
with Pacific Island students in the middle of Auckland, New Zealand, this foreign land to me, I started attending a small Samoan family church. Um, and as I started showing up regularly at this church, I began having some uh, odd experiences there. They were very odd to me. Um, I, so, for example, I would normally stroll up the stairs into the second floor of this random building in the middle of South Auckland, which I had never been to before, and I would get up the stairs, and as I walked up the stairs, I would hear the loud sound of Samoan reggae music playing, and it was louder and louder as I got up the stairs, and I would open the door and be boisterously greeted by all of these uh, massive uh, Samoan and Tongan people who were happy to uh, spend the day with me as we went to church together, right? Um, and what I would do is I would go and find a chair somewhere in one of the back rows of the church uh, because I didn't speak Samoan and most of them didn't speak English. And I could not understand the people who did speak English because of the loud Samoan reggae music. So I would go and sit in one of the back rows uh, and just wait for the service to start. But one Sunday, as I was sitting in the back row, waiting for service to start, uh, the father of the family and the pastor of this church came up to me and he says, Ethan, come, come sit with me in the front row. And so I said, okay, I'll come sit with you in the front row of the church. Because I didn't want to be rude, right? It'd be rude for me to say, no, go sit by yourself in the front row of the church. <laughs> So I go. I sit with him in the front row of the church. Uh, we have a great time. I come back the next Sunday. I sit towards the back in my normal place. He comes up to me and says, Ethan, come sit with me in the front row of the church. And I said, okay, I'll come sit with you in the front row of the church. This goes on for like weeks on end. I don't know how many weeks. But eventually, uh, one Sunday, I, th I thought nothing of this until one Sunday, he comes up behind me as I'm sitting in one of the back rows, and he grabs me by the shoulder, and he says, behind me, he whispers in my ear, he says, go sit at the front and never sit back here again. <laughs> All right. Noted. I will never sit in the back again. So I, like, meander up to the front as casually as you can after being scolded by a Samoan pastor, uh, and sit in the front. I never sit in the back again. As I spent time at this church, though, I came to the understanding uh, that I was not indeed in trouble, um, but that he firmly grabbed me by the shoulder because I was seen as a missionary in their eyes. And because of that, they had automatically assigned me a position of trust and of respect amongst themselves. And for me to sit at the front was for me to sit in a place of trust and respect. Uh, so as I continued my time there and began to see some of the places of great need that I could invest in at the church, it was almost exclusively due to the fact that I held this position in their eyes that they would allow me to do anything at this church. As a random newcomer, uh, I wouldn't have had any uh, cultural clout, if you will, if I would have shown up and tried to do anything at that church. But as someone that they had chosen to give a position of trust and respect to, I was allowed to start things like a Bible study, and God used that to do big and wonderful things at that church. So we're going to see today in Esther 
that just like God used the position I was given at the Samoan church in New Zealand, God positions his people to live as a kingdom of priests wherever we're at. Now, I imagine the thought uh, of being a kingdom of priests causes some hesitation for a few people in the room. You might associate the idea of a priest with lots and lots of time spent in seminary and working in a church and maybe uh, wearing black robes and a white collar. Uh, you might uh, find yourself kind of weak at the thought of adding something else to your schedule uh, as if I weren't busy enough, you say to yourself. Or maybe you love the thought, but you just aren't really sure where to begin. So today we'll explore some parallels between Esther's position and the role of an Old Testament priest and how we can move forward by looking to Jesus. So the book of Esther is filled with these parallels that we see. If you start reading, uh, it's kind of hard to, to come away not seeing them, in, in my opinion. Uh, and this is what has been exciting to me. So these parallels transport our minds somewhere else in Scripture through things like familiar words and phrases and imagery that's used in the book of Esther. It's a lot like word association or a familiar smell that makes us think of a fond memory. Uh, when I smell the pie, I think of the memory of my grandma making pie on Thanksgiving and me getting the first slice. I don't think immediately of the pie. Uh, so an example of this, which is going to help us understand Esther's role in the book, is the king. The king in the book of Esther is described in chapter 1 as displaying the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp or extravagance of his greatness and giving lavishly according to the bounty of the king. These phrases, royal glory, giving lavishly, splendor and greatness, among other descriptors for the king in the book of Esther, are most commonly and most appropriately used throughout scripture to describe God. So when used in connection with the king in Esther, they help us to think of the king in the book of Esther as an individual who's meant to simply represent God in the story. So our first parallel then, with these things in mind, is in Esther 4, verse 8. It reads like this. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for, the, excuse me, for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Let's stop there. We understand at service level, Mordecai is telling Esther, go to the king. And when you go to the king, you should beg for his favor and plead with him on behalf of your people, the Jews. It's simple enough, right? But as we read the verse, we can pick out that the author of Esther is highlighting facets of Esther's position here, which can send our minds somewhere else in scripture. We established earlier in chapter one that the king is described in such a way that we can think of him as someone who's meant to represent God in the story. Here in verse eight, Mordecai commands Esther to go to the king, our God-like figure in the story, to beg for his favor 
and to plead with him on behalf of her people. Does that ring any bells for anyone? Uh, what position or people can you think of in Scripture that go before God and ask for his favor and plead with him on behalf of their people? Hebrews 5 verse 1 puts it like this. It says, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Here we begin to see uh, our first parallel unfold. As Hebrew 5.1 summarizes the role of a priest, Mordecai has commanded Esther to go before the godlike representative in the story to beg for his favor on behalf of the Jewish people. <clears throat> so that's parallel one. Simple enough. All right, second parallel is found in Esther chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. It goes like this. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So it's Esther's response to Mordecai, right? If I go before the king, I'll be put to death uh, according to the law, unless the king holds out his golden scepter and shows me his favor. Mordecai, you're asking me to go to my death. That's serious. This is a deeply disturbing reality for Esther if she does what Mordecai says. When we look at our parallel, we see a much richer picture continuing to form below the surface. Remember our king, the godlike representative in the story. In Esther's response to Mordecai, we hear of the king sitting in the inner court, and if anybody comes before him without his favor, they will be put to death. Our ears, again, should perk up here, and our minds travel somewhere else in Scripture. There's a handful of places that we could go to, but we'll look at Exodus chapter 28, verse 35. God says this to Moses about Aaron's robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out so that he does not die. The picture given in Esther 4 causes us to recall the tabernacle God commanded his people to build earlier in the Old Testament. In the tabernacle, the priests would go into the holy place, also referred to as the inner sanctuary. They would go there before the Lord. And if they were not consecrated and anointed and ordained and wearing the proper garments, the priests would die as a result of God's holiness and glory. So we get whispers of that picture here in Esther 4. The godlike representative, the king, in the book of Esther, sits in the inner courtroom, causing us to recall the holy place or the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle. And if anybody goes before the king without his favor, they would die by law, as was true for the priests if they were not consecrated when they entered into the holy place. The author continues to paint a picture of Esther's position in the story as parallel to that of a priest. She's been commanded to go before the one who represents God, 
to seek his favor on behalf of her people. In order to approach him, she must enter before this figure into a place that reminds us of the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle and potentially bear the same consequences of a priest who had not been consecrated before the Lord, which is death. So that brings us to our final parallel uh, between Esther and the Old Testament priests. Here we're in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Esther agrees to Mordecai's command and tells him to gather all the Jews in the city and to hold a fast on her behalf. Altogether, the Jews are going to fast for three days and for three nights, no food, no drink. And at the end of the fast, Esther agrees to go before the king, though it's against the law, and she's willing to even die if it's necessary. So Esther, uh, Esther chapter 5, verse 1, says this, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when Esther saw Queen Esther, or when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So there's one piece here that I think makes a very compelling parallel for us, and that would be Esther's royal robes, which she puts on. Back in Exodus chapter 28, this time in verses 3 through 4, God is instructing Moses in how to prepare the priests for their position in the tabernacle. And he says this, You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. They should make a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. Later in that chapter, in verse 35, which we just read before, we learn that Aaron should wear this robe specifically when he ministers in the holy place or the inner sanctuary so that he doesn't die. So I think it should be of no surprise to us then that Esther wins the favor of the king. The author of the book has been highlighting Esther's position in the story to have parallels to that of a priest. When we read that Esther puts on her royal robes to go before the king in the inner courtroom, I think we get to breathe a bit of a sigh of relief as we recall what we have heard before about priests who go into the inner sanctuary. Esther approaches the one who represents God in the book, in his inner sanctuary, wearing garments meant to consecrate a priest for his role. We can rejoice when she receives the king's favor and read on with humble confidence in how the rest of the story will play out as Esther, dressed in royal robes, seeks the favor of the king on behalf of her people, the Jews. So as you may know, the Jews and Esther are saved, right? All of Esther's requests to the king are fulfilled. The evil ruler Haman is hung on a wooden beam. God's chosen people are allowed to defend themselves against those who would harm them. And Esther's cousin Mordecai, who is a good ruler, is given charge by the king over the Jews. And he brings the Jews light and gladness and rejoicing and honor. 
as he seeks their welfare and speaks peace to them. But what now? We've, we've spent time looking at just a small portion of the book of Esther. We've, we've only drawn parallels between Esther uh, and the priests of the Old Testament as the book unfolds. Where does that leave us, though, here at Hollyview? Are we to just be fascinated at an allegorical picture of Esther as a priest and then move on? I don't think so. I think the parallels that we have explored today or begun exploring today are merely the beginning glimpses of a broad and truly a magnificent vista in the book of Esther, which points each one of us to something far, far greater, our very own great high priest, who is Jesus. In the book, Esther fills the role of a priestly figure for several days at most. Jesus, our high priest, is our high priest forevermore. Esther is only able to interact with Mordecai, but none of the other Jews. Jesus, he relates with each one of us. He knows you. He understands you. He is available to each one of us always. Esther hesitates, and she needs some convincing to step into her position. Jesus willingly holds his role, knowing what was to come for him. Esther was resigned to dying if she did, and she would have stayed dead, her death likely achieving nothing for the Jews. Jesus did die, yet he defeated death. He is risen and lives that if we are found in him, we too might live. Esther's position only achieved the Jews' temporary and partial salvation at best. Jesus has achieved eternal and complete salvation from all that binds us and oppresses us and stings us and wears on our souls for each and every one who would come to him. So one final thought for us. It's a question, rather. As Esther considers going before the king on behalf of the Jews, Mordecai, who's clinging to God's promises to certainly deliver his people, asks Esther a question. He asks this. He says, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And I would ask much the same, Hollyview. Like Esther, like, like me at my Samoan church in New Zealand, you might not have asked for the position that you currently hold, but who knows whether God has not placed you right where you're at, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, at your gym, maybe your school, or your team, your city, your job, however frustrating or awful or sad or whatever else you may find it all, who knows whether God has not positioned you right where you're at, each and every one of us, for such a time as this. Could it be? Imagine what it would be like for us 
just a tiny, tiny portion of a vast kingdom of priests to go before God, our great king, on behalf of another, to seek his favor toward each one of them, and then for us to go out believing and trusting that he could use us right where he has wisely and knowingly positioned each and every one of us. And for us to remember that we ourselves have been granted favor, just like Esther, to step into the presence of our great king who sits on the throne, who has shown each one of us his saving grace and his mercy, all because we have been clothed in the robes of perfect righteousness of our great high priest, Jesus. What would it look like for us to actually believe that God has really positioned us to live as a kingdom of priests wherever we're at? Let's pray. Father, thank you once more for today. Thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, thank you that you are above all. Thank you uh, that you are able and willing to use us in the places that you have put us uh, to accomplish your purposes, to advance your kingdom into the nations. Uh, would you help us to have just uh, a slightly broader glimpse of what that would look like for you to use each one of us as we step out in faith from this place today uh, to seek after you and to trust that you are able to use us where you have placed us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.